Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. I can't tell you how many sprained ankles I had. That just goes with the job. You're also looking around for things like dogs. Um, that's a problem. So you just you want to be aware. And Were you ever chased by dogs? Sure, plenty of times. That's not just like a cartoon stereotype of dogs chasing postmen? No. This is Phil Rubio. And it really hurts, too, to get bit. I'm Scott Bland. Welcome to Nerdcast. Today, a conversation with a former mail carrier with magazine editor Zach Stanton. I think I've spoken to Phil more in the last two weeks than I've spoken to my parents. So I've been thinking about the mail a lot recently. I think it's one of those things that you never really think about. And then the moment that you think about it, it becomes really interesting. It's in the same way that when the Flint water crisis hit, it just doesn't occur to you that this is something you even need to think about, like the cleanliness of drinking water and the idea that these pipes are actually coursing through your house and underneath the ground that you stand on. And suddenly when you think about this thing that you've taken totally for granted up until this point, you realize how important it is and you realize how intricate it is and that you didn't really appreciate any of it before. And so that's, I think, the point that I'm at right now and what has led me to, I think, quickly uh, develop an interest in this thing that I had otherwise just sort of taken for granted. My wife still makes fun of me today for the way I used to grip mail with my left hand. She says, you've got that mail grip. Wait, wait, what is that mail grip? What is she specifically referring to? Yeah, I'm gripping the mail so I don't drop it. Because it's easy to actually have, you know, to lose a, a letter and you just never want to lose anything. So Phil Rubio is a history professor in North Carolina, and he specializes in the postal system. And he used to be a letter character. He's actually worked in the postal service for 20 years. And he has this encyclopedic knowledge of the postal system dating back to 1775. And so when we were looking for someone to speak to how we got to this current moment of crisis for the postal system, he was the first person I called. Obviously, the U.S. Postal Service has been yelling into the void for a while now about various problems it has. And all of a sudden, people like Phil Rubio have all sorts of, of interview requests. Was he surprised? Yeah, you know, it, for someone like Phil who, you know, didn't come up an academic, you know, he was a career postal worker. It's really bizarre to, you know, after having spent so much of your career focused on this issue that most people just take for granted, to suddenly really be in demand as everyone suddenly realizes what an important issue this is, but there aren't actually all that many experts who can speak to this and who can answer questions for reporters and other folks in the media. So you could feel from talking to him that he just... uh <laughs> he was on the incoming end of so many different media requests. And on the one hand, it was you know nice to finally have this issue that he really cares about uh, getting all this attention. But on the other hand, you know, it, it was certainly apparent from talking to him 
that he wishes it wasn't under such dire circumstances. This has been a slowly developing train wreck that now seems to be really hurtling at breakneck speed, and it feels like we really have an opportunity to save it, or it could be really run off the rails. It seems like, you know, with the Democratic convention going on this week, everyone's talking about the Postal Service even more uh, just in terms of the voting rights context. We had Michelle Obama on Monday night basically warning people that the post office might fail to, to get their ballots in time. Because right now, folks who know they cannot win fair and square at the ballot box are doing everything they can to stop us from voting. It's pretty dire stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that Phil noted is that, you know, we've had all these discussions about the postal system in the past that have been political, but rarely have they been so partisan and so charged in this partisan atmosphere where there have been accusations that the president has essentially tried to put his thumb on the scale and slow down the mail system in an effort to turn people off of mail-in balloting. And you've had accusations from Democrats that in the wake of that, perhaps we can't trust mail-in balloting as much as we once could. And so, as you heard from Michelle Obama earlier this week, you know, you had this idea of... We have got to grab our comfortable shoes, put on our masks. Going and standing in line to vote, and not just standing in line, but... Pack a brown bag dinner and maybe breakfast, too. Packing a brown bag dinner and maybe even a breakfast. Like, being prepared to be there all through the night. All night if we have to. And so it's a really interesting moment, certainly, not only for democracy, but for how the postal system fits into who we are as a country. And this week, that moment is coming to a head on Friday when the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, testifies before Congress. That's right. Uh, There's a Senate hearing uh, on Friday, and then there are House hearings next week. And this is, for lack of a better term, sort of a a crisis point for the postal system. You've seen real political blowback just in the last week. You know, a lot of the initial furor came from Democrats concerned about Donald Trump. But there were also a number of Republicans, particularly Republicans who represent rural areas, who were pretty upset about a lot of this because for many rural Americans, the postal system is a lifeline. Uh, And particularly when you look at areas that don't have, you know, high-speed internet or don't have the connectivity that a lot of us take for granted, the postal system still maintains this huge importance. Exactly. You know, I I get used to talking about the the post office as America's original communications network. And even though it's only partially digital, it's I guess you could call it that hard copy version of the internet. So these are the kinds of things that that really worry me about what will be left of the Postal Service, even if Trump loses the election. And if Trump wins the election and Louis DeJoy stays as Postmaster General. Louis DeJoy is a major Republican donor. He raised a lot of money for President Trump's 2016 campaign, and he's given a lot of money to Republican candidates since then. For the last number of decades, most postmaster generals have been career USPS employees. And granted, you are always appointed by the president as postmaster general, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a political actor. And one of the things that's sort of a departure from USPS norms, at least in recent decades, is that Louis DeJoy very much is a partisan actor. He comes to this with a background in business, yes, and he made his fortune working in the logistics industry. But he is not a career USPS employee. 
And so the most recent problems we see with the Postal Service happen in the last couple months. This has been a slowly developing train wreck that now seems to be really hurtling, you know, at breakneck speed. And it feels like we really have an opportunity to save it or it could be really run off the rails. It's really in the beginning of July you start to see reports gurgle up about changes underway at the postal system. And those range from things like postal workers being denied overtime, which is what they generally are approved to do because basically you get mail in and that mail needs to be delivered and it doesn't really matter how much time it takes a lot of the time. The overtime is going to be approved because the sanctity of the mail is really important. This is something Phil and I talked about a lot. Protecting the sanctity of the mail. So, okay. Um, let, me, let me jump in there real quick. Was protect the sanctity of the mail a specific lesson that they told you? Absolutely. Yeah, it was a mantra. Something that, that you learn. It's, it's part of your training and it, it becomes embedded. It's, it's the ethos of being a postal worker and especially of carrying the mail. The sanctity of the mail means... You know, your your customers are depending on you, you know, for their, their privacy. Their mail is going to go in their box and you're not going to drop it. You're not going to lose it. Certainly not going to open it, steal it. So you have that. But then you also have, on a much grander scale, things like mail sorting machines being taken offline and being disassembled. You see a list of approximately 671 mail sorting machines nationally that the postal system under Louis DeJoy intends to take offline, intends to basically put back in the box. Or as we've seen in some reports this week, these machines have just been disassembled and taken away in dumpsters. And what that means is that the mail slows down. The letter sorting machines process, I believe, like 31,000 letters an hour when they're running at peak capacity. So if you take 671 offline... You're talking about millions of pieces of mail that aren't being sorted every day that otherwise would be. And so what that means is there's this big bottleneck, and that makes people also lose confidence in the ability of USPS to do what they think it needs to do in order to handle things like a huge surge of absentee ballots when we try to have a national election during a pandemic. So another thing that DeJoy has done is... Word went out to state board of elections throughout the country that they were concerned that they wouldn't be able to adequately process all the absentee ballots that would be needed in order for the election to go off without a hitch. And what they said, in part, was not only that these needed to be mailed out earlier, the absentee ballots themselves, but that whereas traditionally the postal system would allow elections officials to send out these ballots at a marketing mail rate. Now, if they wanted to guarantee that they would speedily get through the system, they would need to be sent out at a first-class rate. And that basically means that each ballot would now cost essentially three times as much to mail out to a voter. What the postal system traditionally had done was even though elections officials would mail out these ballots at a marketing rate, people who worked in the postal system, they could identify what these ballots were. And they knew that they were important. And so they would treat them like first-class mail, even though the elections officials had only paid for marketing mail. And so that means that they were basically performing this as a service. They were taking these things 
out of the marketing mail, the sort of the junk mail type speed that they would otherwise get, and realizing that these were really important things that needed to be delivered to people very quickly, and they would just take them out and treat them like first-class mail. But now none of that's going to happen. And so whereas before, a first-class envelope would basically take two or three days to get from election official to a voter, if it's being sent at a marketing mail rate, it takes anywhere from three to ten days. And that's in a normal time. That's not when you already have the ability of the postal system to process all this mail greatly being reduced. So it raises real questions about you know, what exactly we can really expect the postal system to do. The Postal Service is like the canary in the coal mine, I think, for government service, for collective bargaining rights and the future of our society and and democracy. So this week, uh, the Postmaster General came up with a statement following up after a lot of the blowback that you've seen in the last couple days, in which he said that we basically want to continue to move forward with these reforms, but we understand that they're controversial. And in order to try and prevent people from losing faith in the postal system or in its ability to adequately administer elections, that we are going to hold off on all the things that we were planning to do until the election is passed. Now, in the eyes of a lot of people who were upset about what was happening, they're concerned that basically the damage is already done, that you already have these sorting machines taken offline. You have them in many cases being just broken apart or the wires cut They weren't, like, carefully taken apart piece by piece so they could be reassembled. They were just, like, ripped offline. And you also have the faith of the public in the postal system really called into question. And so you can't undo the damage that's already done. And Louis DeJoy in no way suggested that he intended to bring these machines back online or to undo the changes that had already been made. But going back to yesteryear... I mean, the postal system and the way that it expanded over time really tracks with the entire story of America. I mean, the post office pre-exists the Declaration of Independence. It's founded a year earlier. And you have the expansion westward as Manifest Destiny takes hold and as the colonies expand further west. The United States Post Office, devoted exclusively to the service of its owners, the American public. So central to the questions that we're facing right now is this idea of, like, what is the Postal Service? Like, what is it? How are we thinking of it? Do we think of it as a service, a public service? Or do we think of it as something more like a business? And that's been the question that the debate around the postal system has really revolved for the last couple decades. So if we rewind on this whole issue that we're facing right now, there are sort of two inflection points in the last 50 years or so when it comes to the postal system. One happens in 1970. So 1970, things really do explode at the post office. The first strike in the 196 years since Benjamin Franklin set up the system. You see a postal strike. As a result of years of neglect of postal workers' compensation and their rights. Where basically mail throughout the country stops in many places. Between a quarter and a third of all postal workers struck in 13 different states, 671 different stations. And it lasts for eight days. It's a wildcat strike. It's illegal. It's 
not allowed to happen, but it does. It is a domestic crisis with a potential economic impact, perhaps the greatest since the Depression. And this is at a time that's before the Internet. So people's checks are being held up. People's bills are being held up. They stayed out even after Nixon called up uh, 16,000 troops to New York City to try to move the mail. The troops were unarmed. So wait, I'm sorry. He he called up troops to deliver mail? Well, they were supposed to work the mail. I mean, the idea, I think, was, you know, they could process it and deliver it. But the troops were not trained, it's something that takes a lot of skill, takes, you know, uh, years to get good and to get fast at to keep that to keep the mill running in 19 by 1970. And whereas when you see this type of protest, when you see this type of strike and you see it really disrupt people's lives, oftentimes you would expect that the public would not be on board with that. But what Nixon underestimated was that people have a connection with their letter carriers. Like, they know they're postal workers. The most gratifying part, I think, of carrying mail was when I had my own route and got to know people. These are people who deliver things to your house every day. Got to follow up with people, like if somebody was missing a check or if they'd sent a letter out and they wanted me to put a tracer on it or if they wanted me to bring stamps out. Who know your neighborhood, who walk door to door, and they're people that you may develop a friendship with. Seeing the same people, you know, watching kids grow up on the route, feeling like I was part of that neighborhood. It is one of the only ways that the government, in a personal way, touches everyone every day. You're conscious when you're wearing a uniform, you really are on stage. You are being evaluated. How are you behaving? You know, that's at least how I approached it. And this led to people really you know, identifying with their postal workers and identifying with the striking workers. And so Nixon very quickly sort of buckled. He realized that he needed to get on the right side of the politics on this. And he concedes a whole bunch of the demands. But in exchange, he gets his postal corporation. And once that happens, it really changes the tenor of the discussion, where you begin to see these questions about profitability and whether or not the post office is making a profit become central to discussions about the postal system. But of course, if you're coming to it with the idea that this is a service, a postal service, and is akin to other services that the government provides because they believe just basically in the ideal of it being a public service, that whole question doesn't make sense. You know, you don't ask if the army turns a profit. But we do ask that of the postal service. Should we? Maybe, maybe not. Remember, it's not operating at a profit. It's not supposed to be profitable. It, can, can you just repeat that last thing that you said? Because I think that's an important point. Even though the Postal Service is designed to be a government agency slash corporation, it was designed not to make a profit, but to continue the service mission, the universal service mission of the original post office department. So that never changed. And to this day, it has not changed. And it's really after the Postal Corporation idea is enacted in 1970 that you see this real flourishing of private deliveries. Like, like FedEx is founded in 1971. And then following that, you begin to have this whole conversation sort of grafted on to the political landscape, where there are a lot of free market advocates who believe that this is a government monopoly and it should be something left up to the private sector. And so we should entrust groups like FedEx 
entrust these companies to be able to do the role of the postal system without the government being as involved. And more and more, as the years pass, they sort of bang the drum on this and call into question the postal system's profitability, what it's spending its money on. And over time, the postal system actually does improve uh, and it starts making, for lack of a better term, a profit in the 90s. There were three years where it achieved a revenue surplus. Starting in 1995, it is consistently earning revenue surpluses. And is making a big profit in the early 2000s. Even though we're seeing more and more communication shift uh, online as things like email come into wide usage. Then the other inflection point that that all builds up to is in 2006. What, what happens is the culmination of a series of conflicts within government as to what the Postal Service is doing with its money. And that comes during the Bush administration when there's this idea that the Postal Service should start using its profits to pay for the future retiree benefits of postal workers who aren't yet retired. And this is written into law, and it's mandated that the postal system needs to start putting down this money. And so basically, after this is passed in 2006, it creates a huge funding crisis year after year after year, where the USPS needs to continue to pay this expense, but has very limited options for how to. And so this is when you see postal rates start to go up, even as more and more communication shifts online and shifts to mobile phones. And so the price of stamps goes up pretty drastically, the demand for first-rate mail going down, and you also have around the same time, you know, the 2008-2009 recession. And all of this sort of results in the postal system really weakening year after year after year. The number of employees has gone down drastically since 2009, I think in the order of about 150,000. And all of this weakens the Postal Service. Uh, 2012, you see the Postal Service actually starting to slow the mail down to, to relaxing its delivery standards. So first-class mail that you might see in an urban area getting to its destination the next day might take a couple of days, might even take three. You had Postmasters General calling for cutting Saturday delivery, closing window service, or, or shortening window service time closing post offices, closing uh, mail processing plants, things like that that did not save that much money, but did compromise service and reliability of the Postal Service. It weakens it to a point that now, in the middle of a pandemic, at a time when people are oftentimes unable to leave their house safely in order to get things like their prescriptions or to go out to the store, and instead they rely on Amazon, uh, and Amazon in turn often relies on the postal system. Now, in the middle of the pandemic, when there is this real demand and need for the postal system, it is weakened to a point where it is not entirely able to fulfill that demand. It's not entirely able to rise to that challenge because it's been weakened and because it faces these funding problems that need to be changed by law. It's not something that it can really cut its way out of. And so one of the ways that this whole discussion really matters is that right now you have people fearful about going out to a polling place and waiting in line with 
strangers to cast a ballot because they don't want to get sick. And so you have this surge that we've already seen in primaries in many states, this surge in demand for absentee ballots. And you've seen a number of states proactively say, we're going to mail absentee ballot applications to every registered voter. As polls have suggested that people who are concerned about coronavirus are more apt to vote against Donald Trump, but are also more prone to want to vote by mail. And so you've had President Trump call into question the validity of voting by mail. And he's made this sort of distinction between absentee ballots, which is how he votes in Florida and previously in New York, and vote by mail. But it's really a distinction without a difference. What it does add up to, though, calling into question whether or not absentee ballots are valid and saying that they're ripe with opportunity for fraud, which is not supported by any evidence, all that does is really add up to voter suppression and add up to a loss of faith in democracy. We have a whole industry that's built up around a public postal service. But what needs to change is the the starvation, because I, I think that's, you could say, a reflection of how dysfunctional our society has become. All right, that's our show. Zach Stanton is the digital editor of Politico magazine. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament, And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much for listening. Do you use the term junk mail or do you find that like a distasteful term because you don't see it like that? For some reason, it used to bother me then. I would just, I would call it bulk mail, but I wouldn't refer to, uh, I mean, I would let people talk about snail mail or junk mail, but I wouldn't call it that myself. (laughs) 